broadcasting live from Forward Observer Central Command in Austin, Texas. It's the man always out front on the issues. You're listening to Out Front with Mike Shelby. Good afternoon. Welcome to Out Front. I'm your host, Mike Shelby. I'm I've really wanted I'm gonna drill down on one thing today, and that's bricks. Bricks watch. However, before we start, I want to share two things with you. Ben, can you throw that Washington Post article up on the screen real quick? This is a an article that was published in a very serious pro-democracy that is propaganda outlet. Uh, here, NATO was founded to protect civilized people. That means white, white people. All right, listen. I don't know if this individual understands this or not, but the North Atlantic are white countries. It would make sense that a treaty organization meant to defend these white countries uh, is, uh, uh, I mean, who they're going to defend um, Southeast Asia or or Africa or somewhere, South America. All right. Holy cow. Uh, I just, I can't believe these kinds of pieces uh, run, but I mean, I really guess we should. The second thing is, listen, this morning, a mouthpiece for the Chinese Communist Party over at Global Times threatened war with Taiwan. Uh, apparently, Taiwan has issued a, a PDF, a download, some kind of downloadable document that details what Taiwanese people should do if they come under attack from China. And uh, there's been talk of, you know, this, there's the secessionist movement. Of course, Pelosi backed down. She canceled her trip. I mean, allegedly she caught COVID, but she canceled her trip to Japan and then she was going to go to Taiwan and she didn't go. So listen, this is according to this statement, quote, if Taiwan engages in secession. Okay. This is from the a commentator over at Global Times, which is a mouthpiece for the Chinese Communist Party. Quote, if Taiwan engages in secession incited by the United States and triggers a war, the Chinese People's Liberation Army will launch thousands of missiles on day one. The Russian military has used fewer than a thousand so far and smashed the Taiwan army in dozens of hours. So the Tsai Ing-wen authority should avoid provoking a war, end quote. All right. Uh, with that, let's get into act- today's BRICS Watch. This will be a little bit shorter episode because I just want to focus on this one issue. By the way, if you enjoy this show that I do every day uh, and you want to see it continue, please like this video and subscribe to the channel. Also, I may end up moving this over to its own channel so I don't get the Ford Observer uh, YouTube channel nuked with uh, by going out on a limb and saying some things that are true. So be sure to hit the uh, subscribe. It's there's a new channel called Out Front with Mike Shelby. Uh, we'll post a link for everybody so you can follow us over there as well. And if you want to support the show, one of my one of the biggest things you can do is just tell your friends about it. Tell friends or family members who are interested in getting a daily dose of this stuff, this truth about what's actually going on in the world so that we can share our message with more people. We It's an important message, and we certainly would appreciate it. Now, on the topic of Bricks Watch, one of the most important global trends right now and strategically, this is even bigger than Ukraine and Russia. The biggest trend right now is the U.S.-led global financial system and the, the rules-based international order 
that's coming under greater risk of bifurcating or coming under a greater risk of fracturing. And that's something the International Monetary Fund said a few weeks ago. You should probably remember that. Um, it's one of the top things that I look at each week, not just as an indicator of where the U.S. dollar is headed, but also where the U.S. where the American empire is headed. Chi uh, Chinese media, by the way, they they uh, I've been reading a lot of Chinese language media because I, I want to understand their take on the world. And so a lot of what I'll be talking about today comes directly from Chinese media sources. Uh, they are reporting. It's not just reporting. They're kind of bragging about growing ties with Portuguese speaking countries like Brazil and South America, and also a number of African countries that have Portuguese as an official language. And as a matter of fact, Portuguese is one of the official languages of the African Union. So it is no surprise that China has a conference that's dedicated just to Portuguese speaking countries. And they're trying to grow these bilateral trade relationships. Now, China is Brazil's largest trading partner. They're, they're Brazil's largest customer. The, uh, the largest share of Brazilian exports go to China. It goes to China. China is also, of all the countries that have foreign investment in Brazil, China leads that all those countries. And so Brazil is, of course, a member of BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. This year, there's, there's a BRICS summit every year. I think this, this is the 14th BRICS summit. China has the chairmanship for this year's BRICS summit. And the summit is going to be held in China. And they haven't released a date yet. And But this is something I'm going to keep an eye on. And this will probably, this BRICS watch on this particular episode will probably be a recurring uh, episode, recurring theme for everybody. All right. According to a press release issued by the, the Chinese government, quote, China is willing to work with other BRICS countries to, among other things, comprehensively deepen cooperation in various fields, i.e., among the BRICS countries, deepen BRICS strategic partnerships and help the high quality development of the five countries. One of the things that China has made a point of is trying to fast track the BRICS countries. I mean, obviously it's going to be a lot more difficult now with, with Russia, but fast tracking BRICS countries into developed economies. So they look at the United States, for instance, a developed economy, the, the G7, uh, the U.S., uh, Britain, Japan, so on and so forth, Matt, uh, the world's biggest economies, developed economies, they want to fast track the BRICS to becoming to become uh, developed economies. And with that, that means more economic power. It means more geopolitical influence. They're going to have to have larger militaries to protect this influence, just like the United States needs to have to to protect the the. <laughs> What are the, the, the rules-based international order, they say? All right. So this is China's vision for BRICS. They, they want to make, they, trying to topple the U.S.-led order, introduce a Chinese-led order through BRICS. But it's not just the BRICS, because there are a lot of other countries involved. Uh, in another press release, this is from Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. And I'll just tell you, the press release is entitled, quote, Asia's time has come in global governance that gives you any indication of what this guy's about to say. Um, Wang said in this, in this uh, 
press release. Wang says, quote, the baton of the BRICS chairmanship is once again passed to China. We will hold a summit and more than 160 events. That's this year. We will guide the reform of the global governance system with the principle of equity and justice and put forth BRICS proposals for improving global governance in the post-COVID era. In essence, what Wang Yi is saying here is that BRICS needs a BRICS needs increased influence in how the world is governed. This this is not just the U.S. Uh, U.S. led order anymore. This uh, press release continues. Quote: Asia's time has come in global governance. In the race of global governance, we look forward to seeing EMDCs, which is Emer- emerging markets in developing countries (EMDCs), turning from followers to forerunners and even pace setters. Together, we can play a more active role, speak with a bigger voice, help make the international order more just and equitable, and promote promote more open, inclusive, balanced, and win-win globalization for all. Now, in in summary, this whole press release is saying the Chinese-led BRIC, Chinese-led BRICS system needs to have a seat and eventually took, take over the new order, build the new order. China's goal, though, is not just to lead these BRICS countries, but also to lead these EMDCs, emerging markets and developing countries, which, by the way, that makes up most of the world. And so I believe it's most of the world. This is an important part of the strategy because um, these are the types of countries that could use a digital yuan as kind of a regional reserve currency, right? One of the things the IMF has said is that – and one of the things I've I've been saying for the past couple of years, the U.S. dollar is not going to be probably not going to be toppled as the and, and replaced as the world the world reserve currency. What's probably going to happen is that it's going to share a larger portion of global reserve reserves, and instead of having one global reserve, we'll probably have a handful of regional reserve currencies. Well, China is going to be this uh, at least a regional reserve currency eventually. And they want to take these emerging markets and developing countries and put them into the new Chinese financial system, which is why they're doing the Belt and Road Initiative. They're trying to build these uh, these trade ties with them in emerging markets, especially. And that's part of their strategy. It's not just BRICS. They want to bring emerging markets into their fold, help these emerging markets grow. And then, of course, China has them under their thumb. And before you know it, China has replaced the United States as the leader of the new global order. So the Chinese don't really need to wholly like 100% replace the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency. They just have to inject use, inject reliance on China and inject use of the Chinese yuan in these smaller countries, which they are doing specifically through Belt and Road. And this is how China is going to undermine the dollar. This is not going to be a, a unless we go to a, a war, have some kind of high end conventional war, which which absolutely could happen uh, with China. I don't think this is going to be like a wake up in the morning and all of a sudden China, the Chinese yuan or is the new global reserve currency. They, they really can't do that anyway. Um, they say they don't want to, but even if they uh, even if they didn't did want to and publicly admit that they're not going to be able to do that. It's not that simple, um, but they will actively continue to displace the U S dollar as the global reserve currency. Now, another thing that's big that you're going to hear, uh, every single day, Chinese media, I see this every single day, Chinese media points out how badly U.S. sanctions on Russia are affecting global trade, the food supply, fertilizer, 
financial markets, so on and so forth. The U.S. is to blame. That's kind of the mantra that's being emanated out of Chinese media. Um, you know, I without without coming down on uh, this. I mean, they call this spin, right? I mean, this is the spin that you would expect to come out of D.C. The Chinese aren't saying, "Well, it's these sanctions are against Russia to punish Russia for what they're doing." They're coming out and saying, "No, the." The, US, the United States is to blame for all this global trade disruption. And I also think I also think it helps China shift blame away from the disruptions that we've seen for the past couple of years for COVID-19. At any rate, we are going to see this strategic messaging come out at these major conferences, like the BRICS conference this year in China and other global meetings to which China is a, a party. This is strategic messaging. This is China's strategic message against the United States. The United States is to blame for for all these trade disruptions, and and as the uh, as this global famine gets worse, this is what we're going to hear, and this is going to be in the media, and this is going to be specifically targeting not only these emerging markets to try to peel them away from U.S. influence, uh, but also probably here at home. Now, on the topic of BRICS, Biden is headed to Japan at the end of next month, at the end of May, and. That's where the Quad Summit is going to be. The Quad is Japan, India, Australia, and the United States. Formally, it's called the Quadrilateral Security Dialogue. But these countries have agreed to, to build this Quad Security Partnership because of China. And so when, they, when Biden heads to Japan, China's going to dominate these Quad Talks. And we're going to hear a lot of stuff about the China threat and the China threat. By the way, the Chinese hate. They absolutely hate. I, almost every day I read their press releases from government officials, and they always downplay. They say, oh, the United States is talking about the China threat again. Like this is an actual thing. And the United States is using this, this China threat strategic message to, uh, to undermine you know, Chinese peace and prosperity and, and so forth. Right? And then the U.S. does the exact same thing to China. Um, that is why. By the way, this was just published like today or yesterday in a, a Chinese a newspaper. Ben, if you will, throw that Cold War 2.0. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so for those of you who listen to the podcast version, it's Uncle Sam, I don't know, drinking a glass of wine. He's sitting a little uh, in a chair, and he has this gigantic monster chained up with six eyes and uh, a bunch of teeth, and it has a dead dead body in its mouth, this giant monster that says Cold War 2.0 on it. And so one of the things that China continually does is, is uh, accuse the United States of, of creating, creating Cold War 2.0 against China. So keep this in mind. This is how the strategic messaging is breaking down right now. The United States and China trying to divide and bifurcate the world among these two messages. And this is how it breaks down. China says the U.S. is to blame for the global food crisis. Before that, it was the global financial meltdown. Before that, it was nation building and neo-colonialization in the Middle East and Southwest Asia. And before that, it was something else and so on and so forth. And the United States' time has come to give it up. And BRICS and China needs to be at the head of this new world order. Now, the United States is kind of somewhat the reverse of that. We hear Biden talk about this all the time. Since 1945, the Rules-based international order has not been perfect, but the world has presided over 
unparalleled peace, growth, and prosperity for the better part of the last hundred years. The United States is telling these smaller countries, look, you're not going to have the kind of, of peace and prosperity and opportunity that you have with the U.S. under this Chinese-led global order. And they might even say that the choice is yours, but the choice is not theirs. Historically, 70% of the time, the status quo power and revisionist power has gone to war with each other to determine the who gets to rule the new order. Those are not good odds. I think, you know, looking at what the army has said, the army said, uh, I don't know, six months, a year ago, that they, they have this report that said China is going to achieve military parity with the United States some, sometime between 2035 and 2040. They, the army believes that is when the Chinese are actually going to be able to go kind of toe-to-toe, head-to-head conventionally with the United States. Uh, a lot of a lot of people, specific, specifically in the United States special operations community, have come out and said there may be some conventional aspects, but really this is going to be more of an unconventional or irregular war. Um, this is why the Marine Corps has been practicing island hopping again. Um, and I think we just had Max just had something in, t- in this morning's early warning report about the about Marines and uh, oh yeah, the Marines stood up a new uh, a new unit focused on the uh, Indo-Pacific. Um, so at any rate, the, the United States military is doing a, a, a ton of things to prepare for this conflict. So at any rate, um, my guess is we're looking at a, a war with China, maybe even a high-end conventional war with China, no later than 2040, maybe a lot sooner. Until then, the United States and China are trying to peel these countries off, peel these smaller countries off uh, among these two lines of strategic messaging. And that's why they haven't announced a date yet, but BRICS, this year's BRICS, I think is going to be the most consequential to date. Uh, out of the full, you know, 13, this will be the 14th year of these of the BRICS summit in existence. And um well I'll I'll come back with another update about how things are shaping up here. We'll take a few a few questions here. Um as far as you know, how are things for American citizens fighting in Ukraine? So, yeah, first of all, thank Matthew. Thanks for the super chat. Listen, um, I have not heard a lot from American citizens since what was it? Three, two, three weeks ago. Whenever that, whenever the, the Ukrainian foreign legion barracks were, were hit with, uh, with Russian ordnance, uh, was it caliber or cruise missiles or some, you know, some kind of, or maybe even artillery. I forget which one it was. Um, a lot of those guys pull out of there. And I'm also seeing on some social media uh, in, you know, really current and former special operations guys talking about how uh, parts of Kiev is just like, it's, it's like the base camp of the Himalayas, right? I mean, no one's going to climb Everest. They're just hanging out at base camp and, and chilling out. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting is that um, I, listen, I'm sure there are American citizens on the front line somewhere in Ukraine, uh, more often than not, I hear about them hanging out in Poland. I hear about them in Lviv. I hear about them them in Kiev, and uh, that is as far as I know. But again, I don't I don't track this stuff day to day for American citizens. Um, yeah, so I hope that answers your question, Ben. If we have any other questions, please do let me know. Uh, we'll get to them, and if we don't have any other questions. Um, I'll be back tomorrow.
Listen, guys, uh, help help the show out. Help me out. Help me to reach more people with the messages that I'm bringing every day on this channel. Um, you can have just send them to YouTube.com. Send them right to our Ford Observer channel here. Um, how does North Korea act when China invades Taiwan? Uh, man, you know, that that may be a better question for Max. He's our Indo-Pacific guy. Uh, I'll just be straight up with you and tell you, I don't know. And there's a decent possibility that the Chinese don't know. And there's actually a pretty good possibility that even the North Koreans don't know how they're going to react. So uh, they don't know yet. All right. Yeah, there was just one other thing here. There was one other comment here about uh, the bricks being uh, not all that. Uh, let's see here. Oh, BRICS is a dying organization. Well, BRICS is not really an organization, um, if that's what you meant. Um, I don't see how you can say BRICS is a dying organization. It's got China in it. It's got India in it. That that right there is 2 billion people. BRICS, period, uh, has, uh, I don't know how many people are in BRICS, but Brazil's not a dying country. Uh, Brazil's basically the economic powerhouse. Either them, I, I'm pretty sure they're the largest economy in South America. So I don't see how anybody can say BRICS is a dying organization or it's a dry, dying trend. It's on the up and up. And you read all this stuff coming out of these, these BRICS press releases, and that's all they talk about. And that, I mean, that's the point of the whole show. China just got done saying, look, BRICS is the future of the global order. America's time is up. BRICS are going to be in charge. BRICS led by the Chinese. This is our new, this is our new, new rules-based international order. We're going to scoop up all these emerging markets and developing countries under this new world order, and, and we're going to do this. And that's exactly what China is, uh, is doing. As far as Brazil leaning towards the EU and U.S. more every year, I don't think that's the case at all because it was just last year, and we just learned this a couple of weeks ago. It was just last year where the, the Brazilian central bank came out and said not only had they reduced their the number of dollars that they held that they're holding in reserves, they have quadrupled the number of Chinese yuan that they hold in their central bank reserves. So this that's not that's not Brazil leaning more towards the EU and the US. That's Brazil leaning more towards China. Not only that, I think they're they're going to end up doing like 200 or maybe last year they did um, $200 billion in bilateral trade between Russia, excuse me, between Brazil and China, $200 billion. That's double what it was just a couple of years before that. And that's probably quadruple what that was five or 10 years ago. So that's not at all the case that Brazil is leaning more towards the United States. Certainly not the case with Biden in charge and, um, Certainly not the case with Biden in charge. So I don't, I mean, if, if people have more information, I'd be interested to hear the other side of this argument. I, that's just not what I'm seeing from my, my vantage point following this stuff every day. Uh, are Russia's difficulties in Ukraine giving China second thought about invading Taiwan? I think China was having second thoughts about, or they have had second thoughts about invading Taiwan even before Russia. Uh, China does not want to, first of all, China does not want to, I don't think, I don't think they want to militarily invade Taiwan. I think it's going to be too costly for them. 
they understand the risk of sanctions from the West, particularly the EU and the United States. Uh, the United States, we, we are their largest customer. We are China's largest customer. So uh, it would be very painful for the U.S. to implement those kind, the same kind of sanctions against China that we have implemented against Russia. However, it may, it may be done. I don't think the Chinese want to risk that. Uh, I don't think the Chinese either right now are under economic or, or financial situation to declare a war against Taiwan. You look at China's suffering. If if anyone follows Peter Zeehan, you know he talks about this a lot. Where China's actually has the same demo, demographic inversion that the West has. There are too few young Chinese people to support an aging Chinese demographics. So the last thing China wants to do is go kill off a bunch of its young Chinese men in a war. And so I just don't. Is China having second thoughts after Russia? I mean, maybe. They're having second thoughts before Russia too, so I'm not sure. You know, I hope that answers your question. It's a good question. Uh, let's see. Someone says China will invade in the fall, as they have stated. Uh, yeah, potentially. You know, I haven't seen anything like that. Potentially, um, I doubt it. But again, uh, I would like to see the info. I would like to see. Uh, any information someone has about that being the case. Look, I'm not, I'm not married to my, Oh, Mike's always got to be right. And Mike knows everything. I tell you all the time. I don't, I can't answer some questions cause I just don't know. And as a matter of fact, that's one of the best things you can do as an intelligence analyst is to identify what you know and what you don't know. Cause if you don't know something, you probably should not hold very strong opinions on it. So my opinion right now is that China doesn't want a war with Taiwan. They certainly don't want a war with the United States. They certainly don't want a war with a quad. Japan, India, Australia, and the United States, and they might get a war with the Quad over Taiwan, maybe. So I just don't think there's a, I just don't think there's a case to be made there about China invading Taiwan in the fall. But again, uh, let me know, let me know what you know, because you obviously know more than I know. All right. Yeah. So Kenneth says there's no point in invading Taiwan if you control enough of their politicians, which I believe China does. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that Max has talked about, too, is China just slowly buying off Taiwan or buying off politicians, buying themselves more more influence in Taiwan and taking over it, taking over Taiwan gradually by eroding Taiwanese, Taiwanese nationalism, eroding their uh, their ability or eroding their willingness, willingness to resist, uh, which, you know, certainly that's that's got to be one of the uh, one of the. Uh, considerations there. All right, last comment, Peter. By the way, uh, good to see you. It says China won't invade until Dustin writes up a war in ninety days video. Yeah, actually, yeah, Dustin called that ninety. He, we published that on November twenty fourth. You had ninety days. You get February twenty fourth, and that's exactly when Russia invaded. So Dustin was right on. Uh, hit the nail on the head on that. All right. Guys, listen, that's going to do it for today's show. I certainly appreciate the support. Tell your friends, like and subscribe and share this video if you think our message is important. Help me reach more people with the kind of stuff I'm talking about on the show every single day, day after day. Also, this show has no uh, this has this show has no uh, no sponsors other than Ford Observer. So if you like what I talk about and you want more of it, sign up for our early warning intel brief. It comes out every single morning. Uh 
generally before 9 a.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. We talk about this and a whole lot more. You can do that at forwardobserver.com slash subscribe. We certainly appreciate your support. And with that, everyone, Dustin will be back on the Daily Essay tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. I'll be back on the show tomorrow at 2 p.m. Central. Until then, be well and stay out front.